As Pastor Ray said, uh, my wife Debbie and I, we've been coming here now for a quarter of a century. Okay, that made me sound old. <laughs> uh, yeah, for those of you who are a little slow because it's Wednesday night, that's 25 years. Uh, that's a long time. Um, but we were blessed to come here when Pastor Sam was here. How, just a show of hands, how many of you remember Pastor Sam or sat under him? Quite a few of us. Very good. So I'm not the only old one here. <laughs> but if you knew Pastor Sam, you knew that he had a very strong anointing and a very uh, stern look. And, and when he said something, it, it had its own weight, its own authority. And so he didn't really need an authority class, and yet he recognized the importance of it. And so he instituted authority class back when Debbie and I came. Uh, we went through it. Back then it was 10 Monday nights. That's how important that topic was. Uh, and then along the way, when Pastor John came on staff, he had created a course called Spiritual Authority in his previous church. And the content of the course that we've taught now over the last 20 years, two decades, uh, is essentially Pastor John's notes. So I've taken his notes. Uh, he's given me a little bit of liberty to, to shuffle them up a little bit and to hone in on this and focus on certain things. But this is essentially the content that he created. And one of the things I can tell you about having delivered this content over 20 years is that invariably somebody from the class, whether it was three-person class or a 30-person class, somebody would come to me at some point later and say, those principles changed my life. They're practical principles that you can take everywhere you go with you. They're things that you can bring into your marriage, into your workplace, into this church, into the world. And when you walk in spiritual authority the way God intended you to walk, people will notice you. They'll say there's something different about you. There's something unique about you. And that's, isn't that what we're supposed to be, a little bit different, salt and light of the earth? And when we do that, we have the opportunity to witness that, yeah, there's not only something different about me, but there's someone different about me, and that would be Jesus. So this really has a terrific impact on our lives. So again, I encourage you to really absorb it. Uh, there are times in my teaching style that I might get going a little quick. So if, you, if, if I say something and you're like, whoa, I didn't quite get that, it's okay for you to raise your hand. I may not see you. <laughs> I may not answer you, but I'll try. Because I do want this to be a little bit of an interact. I want it to be classroom. That's why I wanted you to, to get close. I can look in your eyes and you guys can wave me down and say, wait a minute, can you say that again? Can you s explain that a little bit more slowly? Because it's important that you get it. I don't want you to come, listen, and leave and go, that was good. I want you to get it. It has to get into your heart. And when it does, it's going to make a huge difference in your life. Let me ask you this question. We, authority is everywhere in, the, in our walk. Where do we see authority? Where do we encounter authority? Anybody? Where do we work? Where else? Government. Where else? Home. Okay. Where? Police. Yeah. The fire department. Yeah. Okay. So you guys... As you get sensitive to where authority is, you can learn how to find it and step in and serve under it. How about the grocery store? Yeah. 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 I remember probably, again, 20 years ago, there was a time when I was listening to Joyce Meyer. You all know who she is, one of the great teachers of our day. And she used this example when she was learning about submission. She said, there I was taking my groceries out to the car once again, and over in the corner I saw the sign, please leave your card over here. 
Well, who has authority in the parking lot, right? The grocery store folks do, right? And there's a reason that they want you to put your card over there so it doesn't get blown into someone else's car, for example. And uh, there's lots of ways you can justify not taking your card into the carriage way or whatever, whatever they call that thing now. So, I mean, you can rationalize, oh, it's raining out. Oh, I'm in a hurry. I've got to get to church, you know? <laughs> Uh, or you can use the one that my daughter uses all the time. Well, Dad, if I, if, I, if I put it back, then somebody who's supposed to put it back could lose their job. No joke, she says that. <laughs> so anyway, you, there's lots of ways you can rationalize why you won't submit to the authority, even something as simple as that. Now, I don't want you to get all legalistic you know, there's, there's balance here, okay? Um, but as you learn to recognize where that authority is, you'll learn to see how you can submit to it, and it's going to revolutionize your life. It really will. A, I, again, I've heard it over and over and over again. What I'm going to do, uh, uh, Angela, is I'm going I'm to go through some scriptures, and I'm going to read them through. Are you good? Scriptures? Ah, let me talk about the picture. Authority and the believer. Well, we, oh, here comes some scriptures. Good. So I use this, this hammer as a symbol of authority. As Pastor John has taught us several concepts from this course already on the Sundays, uh, authority is a tool, right? And so this is a simple tool called authority, and the course is authority and the believer. Let me ask you this question. What is this tool for? Hitting. 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 Can we be more specific? <laughs> Driving nails. Yeah. Or, on the flip side, you can use it to pull a nail out. That's what it's for. Can you use this tool for something else? Yes. Something good? Yeah. <laughs> Cracking open a walnut? Nothing wrong with that, right? Breaking a window? Yeah, that's bad. So, as with any tool, it can be used for good, but it might not be its purpose. It can be used for its purpose, which is driving nails, or it could be used for bad. Authorities like that. And we'll see that as we go through the, the stories and the principles and the concepts. That authority, when you recognize it and see how it's being used, it could be used for something illegal. It could be used for something atrocious. It could be used by you for something that you perceive to be good, but it may not be what God wants you to do. So it's important to recognize the authority and get in and under it and support it to the level that it's intended to. So let's read some scriptures here. And as I said, I want you to think about how you react to these scriptures. I'm going to ask you that question after we go through them. So we'll go through these. Uh, the first one, 1 Peter 2.13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Every ordinance. Whether to the king as supreme, next, or to governors or as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers for the praise of those who do good. Next one. For, I did that one. Oh, I guess not. For this is, the, this is a continuation. Sorry. For this is the will of God that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. What's next? This is from Titus 3.1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all, all men. That's what it says. Next one. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. There are too many amens over here. I don't know. <laughs> For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Next one. 
servants, or you could put in place here, employees. Be submissive to your masters, your boss, with all fear, not only to the good and gentle bosses, but also the harsh. Ooh. Here's one that we all as parents love to quote. Children, obey your parents in all things. Well, this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Absolutely. What's next? And Romans, the keynote scripture for Pastor John's undercover. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. What do we think about these scriptures? How, does the, how do these scriptures make us feel? What, does, what is your response to them? Anybody, talk to me. It's class time. What do you think? Is it takes the pressure off you. Okay. Now, all right, Pastor John's not here. It's just, it's just me. Okay. What do you really think? How, how do, what, what, is your, what is your reaction to these scriptures? Are these easy to do? Why is it not easy to do? Our flesh is in the way. Sometimes the authority is out of line. Why else? What else do you think? Come on, talk to me. Let's get real here. If it's not real, you can't, you can't, it's not practical. Sometimes you don't want to. I love that honesty. I'm with you on that, brother. I don't want to. You know? <laughs> oh, it's Wednesday night. I don't want to. I had a hard day at work. Come to church. Okay. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's, I mean, how about today's political climate? What about that? Are you going to be subject to every governing authority? Are you going to be? No? Oh, now we've got rebellion on our hands. I forgot to mention Pastor Ray is here. <laughs> the, the reality is, is, is there are a lot of challenges to learning how to walk in this. But through the next four weeks, we're going to try to address those challenges and assuage your concerns. Yeah, for the sake of those who are pulling this down on podcast, I'll try to uh, repeat questions and comments that come from the class. Uh, and what was just mentioned is one of the hardest parts of this is when we believe the person in authority over us is wrong. And sometimes they can be egregiously wrong. And yet the scripture is very clear. We need to be subject to the authorities that are over us. So we need to learn how to handle that within our flesh, how to lead by, be led by the Spirit to do that. So over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to talk about principles of authority. We're going to talk about how to submit. We're going to talk about where authority comes from and where we are in that line of authority because we have a responsibility, which really brings me to the part we're going to do as a prelude to all of these concepts on authority. What I want you to do first is really understand where you are with God because I can talk to you about the principles of authority and how to handle them but if you don't understand who you're accountable to and for what, whether you submit or not is irrelevant because you remain the Lord of your own life. Yeah, right. And that's not where God wants us to be. He wants us to be in His life and He in our life. But we can get in the way of that. So let's go back and think about who we are. And we're going to start with the scripture, John 15. You can put that up. In verse 16, it says, you, this is Jesus talking, you did not choose me, but I chose you 
And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you these things I command you, that you love one another. We love to go right into the middle of that scripture and say, whatever I ask in the name of the Father, he'll do. But it's surrounded by qualifications. Let me ask you this. Who, who called you? According to this verse, who called you? Everybody, come on, participate. Jesus, Jesus called you. Yeah, Jesus called you. Let me, let me hear you say this to me. Jesus chose me. Jesus chose me. Yeah, me. Why would he choose me? Well, I mean, there's not a whole lot to work with and when I look at me and when I look at you and everybody else. I mean, Jesus, the second of the Godhead, God Almighty, chose me. Just let that settle in for just a minute. He chose you. Wow. That's amazing. And, and he appointed us. He appointed you. He appointed me. He chose us, meaning that we've been saved, called out. And if you aren't yet, you'll have an opportunity tonight. And he appointed us, meaning he's given us a responsibility. Who do you think will equip us to do that? Jesus will, by the Holy Ghost. That's right. So, so if he's given us, he's called us, he's appointed us, just as Jesus, remember, to do this, he is going to equip us. Now the part we don't want to face. Who are we going to answer to? Oh, Lord Jesus. Yeah. We're going to answer to him. We will be accountable to him for whether or not we did the work. Now, what is the work here that he's called us to do? He said we should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. We need to be fruit bearers. And I'm going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. So I don't want to get into that now, what that means. But there's a very specific kind of work that all of us are called to do. And all of us will be held accountable as to whether we did it or we didn't do it. And it has to be fruit that remains. It's everlasting fruit. The kind of fruit that lasts through the judgment uh, at the end times. And as important as the work we're called to do, we're also commanded right here to love one another. You know, they will know we're Christians by our love for one another. That's one of the differentiators between us and any other organization out there in the earth today. We should have a love for one another that's contagious. And when somebody walks in here, and I, again, having taught this course for a number of years, one of the questions I ask as I get to know the class is, how did you find the church? And not only do I get the short answer, which I'm looking for, but often it's testimony time. Oh, and when I came in here, and I get a long story, which is sometimes beautiful, but invariably people say, one of the things that hit me when I came into this church was a sense of belonging and a sense of love. Love is in the house. But it's a love that passes an understanding. It's way beyond a human love. And when people come in here and we have that love for one another, people feel it. They sense it and they long for it. And they come and they bring their friends. And then they find the source of that love who is God. They turn their life over to him. And so it goes. So important that we love one another. So in this verse also, we see that Jesus delegates his authority. You say, well, where's that? Well, he says... Whatever you ask the Father, 
he may give you. Who's doing the asking? We are. Yeah, and we'll talk later on about how it is that we have the authority to ask. But he's given us the responsibility to do some work on the earth and the authority to ask. So when we ask the Father, he will do it. But again, there's contingencies here. How are we to ask? In his name. That is not to say that when we finish a prayer, we say, in the name of Jesus, amen. That's not what it means at all. In fact, that's so watered down what it really means. We need to be walking in his stead. We are his ambassadors. We are his body here on this earth. And so it's vital that when we do his work and when we ask the Father in his name, we realize we're standing in the stead of the Son of God. The Son of God. It's not something that you can take lightly. It's not something that you can brush over as if by waving a wand in Jesus' name, abracadabra. It's not like that. And unfortunately, we've gotten much too lazy in the way we go about doing his work. And so we say in his name, but we are in our name. So we need to learn how to work, and we'll, and we'll work with you on that. So his authority is here. All of this. So we see a responsibility, which is to bear fruit, fruit that remains. We see the authority, whatever we ask in his name, he will answer. And uh, so I would ask you this, how are we doing at that? What is your assessment? Thumbs up? Thumbs down? Okay, that one's rhetorical. You think about that yourself. <laughs> All right. I know I can answer for myself, and I know there's a long way to go, but I also have confidence. Pastor John talks about the journey that we're going to go on. When we start to do this, it is going to be lightning. It's going to be so much fun. A couple more scriptures to reinforce this point. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. But look at this part in, in verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And which God prepared beforehand. God. God prepared the works for us to do, even before we were created, that we should walk in them. So who created us? God created us. Yeah, the Psalm 100 says it is he who has created us, not we ourselves. Boy, we get that upside down often, don't we? God created us. We are a creation. He is our creator. Who are we to even question? Now, <laughs> didn't really mean to go here, but it's kind of screwing up to me. So you've seen the bumper sticker, question authority. Does that, is that a good bumper sticker or a bad bumper sticker? It's not a bumper sticker at all. No, I'm kidding. That's a <laughs> Wizard of Oz, I know. So. Question authority. Listen, and this is what I want to encourage you with. And that is this. It's not that you shouldn't question somebody in authority. God says, come and argue with me, debate with me, he says. But it's your motive. It's your heart attitude. Are you submissive when you ask the question or are you accusatory? So question authority isn't good or bad. It's how you do it. If your motive is to learn, to understand why is it the one in authority has asked you to do this so that you can better do it, that's wonderful. 
So as we get into understanding these principles and you have a question, ask God. The Holy Spirit was put in us to lead us and guide us into all truth. That's what he's there for. Ask him. Ask me. Ask one of the pastors. We love to talk about this stuff. And if we don't have the answer, we're happy to be humble enough to tell you that as well. So we've been saved unto good works. God created us, and he created the works. That's important, too. We'll see that as a principle going forward. There's so many good things to do out there, so many good works. I remember hearing Pastor Scales talk at one time about his church in, in Columbus, Ohio, and he talked about how one sister came to him over and over and over again, passionate about getting a soup kitchen started. And uh, that sounds like a good work, doesn't it? Feed the poor. It's scriptural. Lines right up. That's what churches should do. Have a soup kitchen. It is a good work. And she was passionate about it. Pastor Scales, he, he prayed about this and he thought about it and he meditated on it. He looked to God for direction. And God's message to him was, if this woman is called to do a soup kitchen, she should go to the church across town who is developing one because it's not for his church to do it. Interesting. So there's a good work that can be done, but if it's not appointed by God, if it's not called by God, it becomes your good work. And then the weight of that good work rests on your shoulders, and the results rest on your shoulders, and that will wear you out. But Jesus said, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So when you get in under his purpose and carry his weight, uh, and then you exchange the weight of this world which is heavy and burdensome, give that to him. Take his on yourself. Now you're in the flow. And this is the way it should go. Let's take a look at another hard verse, Matthew chapter 7. Oh, Lord. Uh, yeah, we'll start in 21. Is that perfect. Now, not everyone, Jesus says to me, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Here's the hard verse. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And he will declare to them, I will declare to them, Jesus said, I never knew you. And then he says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You who have chosen not to obey the direction of God and went off to do good works, even ending your good works in Jesus' name, and even seeing results that appear to be good works, and yet you didn't know Jesus. You have missed the mark. You have missed the mark. And that's another word for sin, by the way. It's wrong. We have to have a relationship with him. We have to be submitted to him. We have to only do the will of the Father in heaven. And anything else that we do is called lawlessness. Yeah. Lawlessness. That's, that's heavy. Yeah. That's heavy. But Jesus didn't leave us alone, as I mentioned previously. He called us, he appointed us, and he's going to equip us to do the works. Our job is to submit ourselves to him to listen to him, and to do what he said to do. Yes, Sounds easy, but tomorrow when you get up and the watch is ticking and the job is calling and the coffee's cold and... <laughs> yeah, 
How many of you wear a, any kind of a cross, like a jewelry, a necklace, or a... Yeah. One of the things I've started to do in the last bit of time, when I put my necklace on, I have a cross necklace. I don't always wear it, but sometimes, most of the time I do. And when I put it on, I always used to say, thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice for saving me. Perfectly scriptural. Now I add, help me, Lord, to put myself aside to serve you. So when you wear your cross, when you, it's a symbol of death. It's a symbol of crucifying your own flesh. When you wear that, when you put it on, remember what it is that it's for, which is to crucify your own will that you can carry out His will. Yeah, amen. All right. Now, the way God commissioned us to carry this out is that we cannot do our job alone. It's not going to work that way. As much as you want to be a Lone Ranger, and many of us have a bit of a personality where we would prefer to just do things our way. Or if we're going to do things God's way, but, but just him and me. You know, we're tight. We don't need you guys. Yeah. Because when we get you guys involved, there's strife, there's conflict, there's, you know, I've got to deal with you. Your schedules, your opinions. And, uh, you know, it, it makes it a little harder sometimes. Let's be honest, this is a class right? So, but that's not how God set it up. He wants us to do it with him, first of all. And let's look at John chapter 15, and we're going to look at the first eight verses. Now, uh, this is class, and so we're not going to baby you by putting all the scriptures on here. What I want you to do is bring your Bible. Uh, And so, we, and why is that important? Well, I assume that you read your Bible every day, and you're comfortable with it, you use it, you can quickly get from verse to verse. But we can also get lazy and just let the scriptures preach to us up here and lose our ability to use our swords. So you want to keep that in your hand, right? And be able to take that offensive weapon, the Word of God, and to be, use it and to be a, a, a right divider of it. So there are times when I'm going to ask you to turn to the scriptures. Uh, this is one of them because, again, as you read it for yourself in your own type of sword, whatever that might be, it will resonate with you. And then when you're in your daily time of prayer and study, when you see it again, it'll help you remember the things you're hearing tonight. Okay, so John 15 in chapter 1, Jesus again, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Mm. Every branch that bears fruits, he prunes. Why? that it may bear more fruit. The good news in verse 3 is Jesus says, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Praise God. But then he says in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Yeah, nothing, nothing, no thing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. But in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Why? Because by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, And so, or in this way, you will be my disciples. 
Jesus is calling us to live in perfect unity with him. Imagine this. God Almighty wants to live in unity with little old you and little old me. We are his sons and his daughters. Debbie and I have had the privilege of raising five kids, and the youngest one is now 22. The others are out of the house. Sometimes we celebrate that, but oftentimes we miss it. (laughs) And uh, the truth of the matter is we like to live with them. How much more your heavenly Father who died for you when you were still an enemy wants to be with you? Not just Sunday morning, not just on Wednesday night, not an occasional minute in the prayer closet before you run off to work. Abide, live, dwell. Be there and have him be here. That's awesome. That's, I mean, that's awesome that he wants to do that. And he initiated. This is not something we did. He initiates this. He wants to abide in unity. He wants us to abide in unity with him, him with us, us with him. And in that... He can work through us to bear the fruit. Because if he's not in us, whatever fruit we bear is going to shrivel up and die. Sure, you can count on that, if we bear any at all. But with him in us, we'll bear the kind of fruit that remains. That's wonderful. The other aspect of this is our destiny depends on our abiding. Because if we do not abide in Christ and he is not abiding in us, we're cast away. He'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. We'd be burned. And I don't want that. And it's not about him and it's not about us. It's about bringing glory to God as a whole, isn't it? And so we need to recognize that the purpose of abiding in him isn't so that we can have a bigger house, a nicer car, a healthier body, fatter wallet, and, uh, you know, every wish of our heart. The purpose of abiding in him is to bring glory to God. If you bring glory to God, all these other things will be added unto you. That's part of his promise. But your motive isn't to get, it's to give. Your motive is to serve. Your motive is to abide with him and to submit to him. Now, sounds all great. Me and God in the prayer closet, everything's going well. We're abiding, right? Well, where is his body on the earth? Yeah. So we get to abide with each other too. Amen. We get to abide with each other. And, uh, and with all of our good and all of our bad, we get to learn how to dwell in unity one with another. 1 Corinthians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 10 says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no division among you, but that you perfectly join together in the same mind and in the same judgment. This, this letter, uh, the Corinthians, first Corinthians letter, was written by Paul to a church early on in the, in the day of the church uh, where already they were having trouble with division. Some were arguing, well, I was baptized by Apollos. Others, well, I was baptized by Paul. A third, oh, well, I'm baptized by Jesus. And they were arguing and dividing and stressing. And, and, and Paul's like, no, that's not what God's all about. You are to abide to one another, be perfectly joined together in the same mind, which is to bring glory to God, not fight over turf, not fight over names, not fight over denominations. Division and strife among believers has been a problem since day one, and where do you think that comes from? Satan. Right? The Lord of this earth brings division. He brings strife. Offense, there's a great book by John Bevere, The Bait of Satan. It's all about offense. 
And that's where division and strife comes from. Let's take a look. Let's read Psalm 133. Where is it? Psalms. 1 and 33. There we go. It's a short one. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his gardens. It's like uh, garments. It's, it's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. I don't really get those analogies in, the, in today's vernacular, right? Is that what living together in unity is like? Yes, it's like that. Back in the day when Aaron was the high priest, when they anointed the high priest, they poured anointing oil. It wasn't a dabble, do you? They poured anointing oil over him such that it saturated his, his hair, his face, his clothes, all the way down to the hem of his garden, garment. So much so that the oil and the high priest essentially became one. They became part of one another. And we know, of course, that Aaron is a type of the high priest. He is the high priest, the first high priest, but he's a type of Christ, our high priest. We also know that the oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And when you think about the Holy Spirit and Christ, our high priest, are they one? Yeah. That's how precious. That's the kind of unity that he's calling for. It's no wonder when you think about the woman with the issue of blood, she crawled through the crowd, and what did she touch? The hem. The hem. The bottom part. And there was power there. There's power throughout him. It's the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of unity he's calling us to, one with another and with him. The dew on the mountain, what does that mean? Well, again, the dew settles over the whole mountain in the morning as the temperature changes and rises. And it covers the mountain, and it becomes one with the mountain. And the beauty of that is when we learn how to walk in this kind of unity, that's where he commands his blessings which is life forevermore, everlasting life with God the Father. Isn't that wonderful? There's a blessing in dwelling in unity. It's how we're called to do it. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 6 says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling for which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with all longsuffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. That's unity. That's unity. Yeah, there you go. Now you have it. But it's good that you're using your sword. I appreciate that. All right, good. So, What's this about? So we begin in a responsibility. We're going to be accountable to do it. And now we've been called to walk in unity together. Why? Well, in that, we will be able to achieve our destiny. And uh, so I'm going to give you some destiny scriptures. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And he gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word and this is the good part, that he might present her to himself a glorious church. He's coming back for his bride, folks, and that's us. But we will be without spot and without blemish. We will be without division and strife. We will be like him when he comes. And she will be holy, 
and without blemish. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Woo! And thus we shall always be with the Lord. These are our, this is our destiny. This is what we labor for. This is what we work for. It's coming. He's coming. But he's not coming until we're ready for him. And part of our getting ready is up to us. And that's why we teach this class. Because if you look in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36 and 37, Hebrews, the author, he writes, For you have need of endurance, so that after, everyone say after, after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And then he goes on to tell us what the promise is. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. When's he coming? After we have done the will of God. We have a responsibility. So the purpose of this course, we have a PowerPoint for that. Coming up is to learn to walk under authority and in authority so we can fulfill God's call on our lives individually and corporately as the body of Christ. And you can see the picture I put on there is our famous Roman centurion who talked to Jesus saying, I too am a man in authority and under authority. So you just say the word and my servant will be healed because I understand authority. Remember Pastor John taught so well how authority and faith are linked together. This is our goal. As you get to understand how to submit yourself to authority under authority, you may be given responsibility and authority, and you need to know how to handle the authority you've been given. And when you do it God's way, and we all do it God's way, then we can fulfill the call that God has on our lives individually. And as we begin to do it individually, we can do it corporately. And as the church, not just Faith Christian Center, but the church at large, starts to work together to get it done, it, it will accelerate, it'll hasten his coming back, and we won't have to deal with this mess anymore. That's awesome. That's our purpose. And the theme, the next slide, the theme is authority is the pathway to unity. So as we learn again to submit to authority, as we learn to walk in authority, we will learn how to become in unity, one with another, and ourselves with Christ. And in that unity, that is our fuel the explosive capability for us to reach our destiny when he comes back for us. So that is the theme of our, of our course. All right, that's the prelude. So what I want to leave you with, if nothing else, is that you all, each one of us, me included, we have been created uh, by God unto good works, and we will be held accountable to do them, and you cannot do them alone. So we need to learn how to work together. We need to learn how to work with him, with God. And uh, as we do that, he's coming back for us. And not just us, but all those, as many we can bring with us. That's our role. So now what I'm going to do is get into some of the, the teachy part of the principles of authority. And uh, we'll, we'll go through, ooh, boy, is it already quarter to nine. We will go through some of these tonight. <laughs> and, uh, and then we'll keep going next week. So... The nature of authority, uh, first of all, it's inherently good. 
because it comes from God, and God is good. So if authority comes from God, authority must be good, right? So, and when it's properly applied, authority, those who are in authority are motivated by love because God is love. It all fits together, right? But they use the authority to carry out a responsibility to complete a purpose which will benefit others. So those of you who have been paying close attention, remember the definition that Pastor John gave us a few weeks ago, which essentially says that authority is, is the right or ability to direct the actions of others in the furtherance of a purpose or cause, which right has been granted by one with the ability to enforce it. So this is the nature or the sense of how it's supposed to work. Authority has some benefits to it. It brings order, order for getting things done. It brings security to those who are subject to it and a peace uh, for those who understand it. Uh, and, of course, uh, there are the parties to uh, authority when authority is delegated. So all authority starts with God, but God delegates his authority. We'll talk more about that in coming weeks. But I do want to get to this part. So we can put the next PowerPoint up, please. Um, authority starts with the source of authority and comes to a receiver of authority. And it's for the purpose of the beneficiary. Well, that seems pretty obvious, right? I mean, this is a big revelation, right? Of course, the one who has it gives it to someone who needs it so they can do something. <laughs> but if you think about it, how often have you tried to take things into your own hands? Then you become the one in the middle there grabbing the authority as opposed to receiving it when it's delegated. Yeah. So it's important to know where the source of authority is, and who to whom it's been delegated to, and who ultimately is going to benefit from that. Pastor John has authority to teach on Wednesday nights, and he certainly knows how to teach this course. This is essentially his work. And, uh, so he, but he's delegated the responsibility to teach that to me. So I have authority over you for the 45 minutes or so that we're together to make you sit down here in front and ask you to bring your Bibles and pay attention and answer questions. But my purpose is so that I can impart the knowledge so that you can walk in this, which will benefit you and benefit the church and ultimately fulfill God's purpose. It's not so I can feel almighty and proud about being here commanding you to do that. And the good news is you only have to deal with that for four weeks. So, <laughs> so that's why it's important to recognize where is the authority coming from. My authority to teach comes from Pastor John, and I am subject to him. I first submitted some notes to him, and he said, no, do something different. And, and I obviously immediately changed course. And uh, I'm glad I did, because otherwise I get out from under his covering. Then the burden is on me to make it look good. And I don't want that. I want it to be of God. So I'm subject to his direction there. And you all are the beneficiary. So my job now is to carry out a responsibility. And this is a key point in my household. Next slide. So a responsibility should always be delegated before or at least with the authority to carry it out. And why is this an important topic in my household? Well, some 20 years ago when we took school of ministry and Pastor John had this as part of his curriculum, he taught this course. And uh, we were a fairly competitive first class in school of ministry and we got all of the, all of the questions right on this exam but there was one question that said, in the garden, when God put man in the garden, which did he give them first, authority or responsibility? Now, I must have been nodding off during that part or something. 
Um, so I went to the Bible. And when I read the Bible, it looked like he said, let, my, let man have dominion over. So it looked like he gave him authority first. So that's what I answered. And, and one of my good friends answered the same. Um, and, but my wife answered, no, responsibility comes first. Pastor John was very clear on that point. Now, because my friend and I were, were, were convinced that we were right, we made her nervous and, and crazy. Of course, we're very competitive about getting the oh, 100, right? You've got to get 100. And, of course, we got our grades back, and me and my friend were like, what? And she's like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> She got it right. And as luck would have it, or coincidentally, or ironically is probably the right word, since that time I've been teaching this class. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes the best lessons learned are when you make a mistake. I'll never forget that, and she won't let me. So I was like... By the way, we've been married 34 years coming up this weekend. And we are more in love today than we ever have been. So we can joke with each other, but it's all good. Amen. All right, listen, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pick up on this topic again uh, next Wednesday and finish this out because there's some key thoughts and principles in here that I don't want to rush through. Uh, because if you can get these aspects, the rest of the course will make a lot of sense to you. So we're going to finish this up next week. But I have one more question for you. And this is the most important question I can ask you. I want you to all look at me. This is, this is vital. What I need to know from you is if you were to die tonight, would you be in the presence of God? Would you be going to heaven? 